Okay, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 44 this morning, chapter 44. And before we get started, we want to pray for the Word, but we also do want to pray for what I would call one of my heroes in the faith, and that's the passing of Chuck Colson, uh, passed uh, yesterday afternoon, and uh, opened the Los Angeles Times, and he's on second section, page 33. Dick Clark died last week. He was front page for several days. Well, that says everything, amen? Nothing about Dick Clark. He seemed to be a lovely man. But I think Chuck Colson made an impact on this country and hundreds of thousands of prisoners who came to know Christ and and their families. And so uh, we are one of our uh, mission supports during the uh, during the during the Christmas season was to help with his his packages that he gave to prisoners and the families. And so uh, it breaks my heart to see that Chuck Colson is no longer with us. Uh, he got saved in the early 70s with a lot of us in the Jesus movement. And so we're starting to see that generation. And uh, we're looking to you, younger people, to carry on. Amen? So let's pray for the Word and also for Chuck Colson's family. Chuck is with the Lord. But his, his family is grieving. So, Father, we want to thank you for the ministry of Chuck Colson, Prison Fellowship, the wonderful things that he did, the many over 30 books that he wrote, and he donated all of his royalties to the ministry. What a man. What a man. What a legacy he left. And it breaks our heart here in the evangelical church no longer to have him with us, but we pray for him and his family. The grace and the power and the love of God might be shed abroad on their hearts as they grieve for their husband and father and grandfather. We do pray for a prison fellowship. We pray that you'd continue to use that ministry, help them as they get ready to make some changes. And so um, may your hand of grace be upon all those involved. We also do thank you for the word of God and that it would minister in a real way to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah 44 is where we find ourselves this morning. One of the uh, issues that people who are not believers struggle with as far as the Christian faith is the whole issue of the judgment of God. They think, you know, the God of love rather than the God that we see in the Hebrew Scriptures. I mean, especially considering some of those passages, maybe even what we're looking at this morning, seems so exclusive, (laughs) so judgmental, harsh, critical. I mean, you turn even into the New Testament. My heavens, the book of Revelation scares the... Hell out of you. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. I think, well, the God, that, the God that I would understand would be much more loving, much more inclusive, much more 
friendly. Now, all of us as humans have a tendency, we have a tendency to prejudge people or judge people based on their face value. Have you seen that in yourself? Uh, my wife says I'm not like that. I, I would see myself as much more realistic and pragmatic. <laughs> but in the end, I hope that God's a little bit more like Nancy than me. Now, oftentimes our experiences color what we think about the judgment. Maybe you have been judged unfairly and you thought, hmm, that wasn't very nice. So oftentimes when we think of judgment, that colors our thoughts. Well, this morning I am going to uh, finish our study in Jeremiah. The reason is, beginning at chapter 44 and Running through the end of the chapter, we have a series of judgments of God. He judges finally the folks that have fled into Egypt, the remnant of Jews, Jews, and then he goes and he judges many of the pagan nations that surround it. So we're going to kind of encapsulate that and finish the study. Um, One of the most important questions that would come into your mind when we start to talk, when, when I would say the judgment of God, what's a question that would kind of immediately kind of jump out at you? The question would be, okay, I, I believe in the judgment of God. How do I not participate in it? <laughs> How do I uh, not face the judgment of God? That's a very good question. And I think chapter 44 succinctly kind of puts it together for us. So I want to talk about that, looking at chapter 44, understanding that the whole subject of the judgment of God follows through almost to the end of the book. So with that, let's take a look. We've got 30 verses, and we'll, um, we'll take them in small bites, and then uh, read a little bit, and um, then uh, make some comments. Um, verses 1 through 10. Jeremiah 44. The word that came to Jeremiah for all the Jews living in the land of Egypt, those who were living in Mingdal, Taphanes, Memphis, and the land of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You yourselves have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah, and behold, this day they are in ruins and no one lives in them because of their wickedness which they committed so as to provoke me to anger by continuing to burn sacrifices and to serve other gods whom they had not known, neither they, you, nor their fathers. Yet I sent you, all my servants, the prophets, again and again, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing which I hate. But they did not listen or incline thy ears to turn from their wickedness so as not to burn sacrifices to other gods. Therefore my wrath and my anger were poured out and burned in the city's of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem. So they have become a ruin and de- a desolation as it is this day. Now then, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, why are you doing great harm to yourselves so as to cut off from man and woman, child, infant from among Judah, leading yourselves without remnant, provoking me to anger with the work of your hands, burning sacrifices to other gods in the land of Egypt where you are entering to reside so that you might be cut off 
and become a curse or reproach among all the nations of the earth? Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness, and the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem? But they have not become contrite even to this day, nor have they feared nor walked in my law or my statutes, which I have set before you and before your fathers. Verses 1 through 10, how to avoid the judgment of God. We must pay attention to history. Oh, he's saying, what do you mean? Well, I found two quotes on the Internet. First quote, we've heard this, many of you have heard it. Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Let me repeat that again. Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Or one a little bit more personal. Those who don't remember their past are condemned to repeat their mistakes. And that's what Jeremiah is doing here. He said, don't you remember what I did in Jerusalem? Now, what they, we remember last week they had fled into Egypt trying to get away from what they thought was the wrath of the Babylonian king. And they're in Egypt. Jerusalem's been destroyed. It's been maybe a year, perhaps even more. And he's saying, don't you remember? <laughs> don't you remember why I did to Jerusalem? And now you guys are doing the same thing. Can't you learn from your past? Verse 9, have you forgotten, have you forgotten what happened to Jerusalem, what happened to Judah? Those who don't remember their past are condemned to repeat their mistakes. Not only remembering it, but learning from it. One of the best classes that I had at seminary was the class of church history. I had three semesters of church history. You say, well, why does one want to study church history? Oh, very important. Because you learn some of the rabbit trails and some of the silly things and stupid things the church has done throughout the ages. And you saw those that loved Christ and stuck to the Bible, how they kept bringing the church back to where it belonged. And so when some crazy heresy comes waffling through the church, some insane idea, I just duck my head and let it go on by and pay no attention to it. If we can't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Now, not to move into a political area, but I can't, I can't pass this up. You know, we think we're so special, don't we, here in America? Now, this is a wonderful country, amen? It's a wonderful country. But we think we can just be totally irresponsible about money. And it won't affect us. After all, we're special. You think we can just murder our children through abortion, millions of kids, innocents killed, and there won't be any consequences. We can think we can drift away from God and that everything will continue on as it has for the past 200 plus years. Guys, you need to take a look. America, you need to take a look at history, what's happened to other nations that have turned from God. 
Look at other nations that have used their funds and their, their monies in an irresponsible way. And if we don't learn, we're doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past nations and the empires that have gone and are heaps of rubble even today. That's what the Lord is saying to them. Have you forgotten what happened in the past? In Romans chapter 15 and 1 Corinthians, I just want to read a couple of passages here. Romans 15. It says, 15.4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Did you hear that? Whatever happened in the history of the Bible, it was written for instruction. He's talking to New Testament saints. He's saying whatever happened in the past, whatever's written in the Bible, was written for our instruction so that the, through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Here's another scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He's talking about what happened with the people of Israel after they came out of Egypt. And he says, now these things happened as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. He says, you remember, remember what's taken place in the past and don't let it trip you up. One other passage. Second Peter. Here, uh, Peter the Apostle takes kind of a little different tack, but the same idea. He says, as you have been saved, now that you know the Lord, I want you to apply moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness and love to your faith. And then he goes on in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the verse I wanted to come on. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. Why? Having forgotten. There it is. Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. They forgot. They forgot what God had done in their lives in the past. And Peter qualifies them as blind and short-sighted. We want to pass on by the judgment of God. The first thing that Jeremiah says to us this morning is we must pay attention to the past. We must pay attention to history. Let's look at verses 11 and 14. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am going to set my face against you, for woe even to cut off all Judah. And I will take away the remnant of Judah, who have set their mind on entering the land of Egypt to reside there, and they will all meet their end in the land of Egypt. They will fall by the sword and meet their end by famine. Both small and great will die by the sword and by famine. And they will become a curse, an object of horror, an imprecation and a reproach. And I will punish those who live in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem with a sword, with famine, with pestilence. So there will be no refugees or survivors for the remnant 
of Judah who have entered the land of Egypt to reside there and to return to the land of Judah to which they are longing to return and live for none will return except a few refugees. 11 through 14 shows us we must pay attention to the word of the Lord. Now, my whole sermon last week was based on that so I won't go on and on. But basically what he's saying is, we need, he's kind of repeating what he has said in, in chapter 42 and 43. And you remember what happened there? They said, tell us what the word of the Lord is. Then the Lord told them through Jeremiah what the word of the Lord is. And they said, no, we're not going to obey it. <laughs> and they ended up in Egypt, running away from what the, exactly the opposite of what the Lord told them to do. We must pay attention to the word of the Lord. Now in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, John writes... I have written these things that you might know, what? That you have eternal life. John wrote the gospel of John. He says in chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, he says, I have written these that you might escape the judgment of God, that you might have eternal life. He wrote his book to help us escape from the judgment of God. Then he repeats himself in 1 John chapter 5 and he says, almost word for word, these things I have written that you might know you have eternal life, that you might not try to guess at it, but you have eternal life. You can escape the kingdom of darkness and be put in the kingdom of his dear son. That's why I wrote, that's why this book is written. We need to pay attention to the word of the Lord. Now, some people would ask from time to time, why am I so passionate about declaring the authority and the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture. Pastor Neil, you talk about this all the time. Why do you do that? Because it's critical. When I was going through seminary, I had two good friends, two friends, who, because of the influence of liberal professors, began to think that not this was the inerrant, inspired Word of God, but this book contain, now watch it, when you hear that, this book contains the Word of God. Do you see the difference? That there's portions of this book where there's mistakes or problems. When they began to believe that, it infected their lives. Infected their lives so that within several years, Their lives become an utter disaster, an utter disaster. And I don't even know if they're walking with the Lord, even though, and this is what really, really gets to me, both of them were much more qualified in abilities and talents and speaking abilities than this, your humble servant. And the only reason I find myself here as I fumbled through this Christian life is because this book has held me that this is the inerrant, inspired Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. We must pay attention to the Word of the Lord. It'll keep us from the kingdom of darkness and deliver us to the kingdom of His dear Son. Verse 15. Then all the men who were aware that their wives were burning sacrifices to other gods, along with all the women who were standing by as a large assembly, including all the people who were living in Pathros, the land of Egypt, responded to Jeremiah. Okay, so Jeremiah's given him 
the word, and this is what they said. As for the message which you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we're not going to listen to you. But rather, we certainly carry out every word that has proceeded from our mouths by burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven, pouring out drink offerings to her, just as we ourselves, our forefathers, our kings, and our princesses did in the streets of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Now listen, for then we had plenty of food and we were well off and so no, saw no misfortune. But since we have stopped burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have met our end by the sword and famine. And, said the women, when we were burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and were pouring out drink offerings to her, was it not without our husbands that we made for her sacrificial cakes in her image and poured out drink offerings to her? Your attention, verses 15 through 19, we must avoid excusing or justifying our sin. Avoid or excuse or justify our sin. When Jeremiah is finished speaking, look at their words. Do you see how twisted, <laughs> how twisted their words are? They were saying, hey, um, listen, when we were burning, uh, making drink offerings to the queen of heaven, the queen of heaven, we believe, is a reference to the Babylonian god of Ishtar, which was the god of pleasure and uh, different things in that realm, if you get where I'm going. And they said, as long as we were doing that, we didn't have any misfortune. Matter of fact, we had everything we needed. Now, notice what they said, verse 18. But once we stopped doing that, everything, uh, we just met the end by the sword and famine. You see, they got it completely upside down. They say, we're not doing wrong, but as a matter of fact, we are doing what? That which is right. Now, rightly, Jeremiah says in the previous chapter, in chapter 42, when you have that mindset, you're only deceiving yourselves. He says that in verse 20 of chapter 42. You're deceiving yourselves. completely excusing or justifying their sin. Now, several years ago, Pastor Rob and I sat down with a young fellow who was um, causing some offense to some of the people in the church. And um, we spent some time just being very gentle with him to assure him to move past what he was doing and to change his behavior because we had many complaints about him. And then we were quiet and listened to his response. And I have to say, if not literally, our mouths were left open. We could have caught flies in our mouths because he completely went about excusing everything that we had said he was doing wrong. And he completely justified. Matter of fact, he said what he was doing was not wrong, but was right. I stood there and go, I can't believe you're saying what you're saying. (laughs) 
And then he ended up saying, this is really a mind blower. He said that Pastor Neil was persecuting him. <laughs> I was persecuting him. We must avoid excusing or justifying our sins, my friends, my friends. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 says what? If we do what? Confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and righteous to forgive us and do what? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, talking about the Lord's Supper, and Paul was rebuking the Corinthians for the way they were handling it. And he says, listen, if we will carefully judge each other ourselves, if I will judge ourselves, we will not be judged. What is he saying there? We need to repent. We need to stop making excuses for our sins, but we need to face it up and we need to repent. And when we do, <laughs> we avoid the judgment of God. It's just that simple, my friends. Peter in Acts chapter 2, he preaches this wonderful Pentecost sermon. You remember that. And then... They said the words that every pastor wants to hear. Brethren, what should we do? Ah, those are words you want to hear. What should I do? And you know what Peter said? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you see the two phrases there, two major phrases? Repent and find forgiveness of your sins. That's how we begin our Christian life. And according to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, that's how we continue our Christian life. Avoiding the discipline, avoiding the judgment of God by not excusing or justifying our own sin. And it will keep us from the judgment of God and or the discipline of God. Boy, this is the second Sunday it's gotten really quiet in the church. Hmm. Okay. Um, Where are we? Chapter um, 44, verse 20. Then Jeremiah said to all the people, to the men, the women, even all the people who were giving him such an answer, saying, As for the smoking sacrifices that you burn in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your forefathers, your kings, your princes, your people, the land, did not the Lord remember them and did not at all this come into his mind so that the Lord was no longer able to endure it because of the evil of your deeds, because of the abominations which you have committed, thus your land has become a ruin, an object of horror, a curse without inhabitant as it is this day, because you have burned sacrifices and you have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in his law, his statutes or testimonies. Therefore, his calam- this calamity has to over- is befallen you as it has this day. Then Jeremiah said to all the people, including all the women, hear the word of the Lord, all Judah, you were in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as follows. As for you, your wives, you have spoken with your mouths, fulfilled it with your hands, saying we will certainly perform our vows that we have vowed to burn sacrifices to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. Go ahead, confirm your vows and certainly perform your vows. Nevertheless, hear the word of the Lord, 
all Judah, or you were living in the land of Egypt? Behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, never shall my name be invoked again by the mouth of any man in Judah in the land of Egypt, saying, As the Lord lives. Behold, I am watching over them for harm and not for good, and all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt will meet their end by the sword and by famine until they are completely gone. Those who escape the sword will return out of the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number. Then all the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to reside there will know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. This will be a sign to you, declares the Lord, that I am going to punish you in this place so that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for harm. Thus says the Lord, behold, I am going to give over Pharaoh Hophra, king of Egypt, to the hand of his enemies, to the hand of those who seek his life, just as I gave Zedekiah, king of Judah, to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who was his enemy and who was seeking his life. Last point, we must avoid serving the God of our own making. The Jews of that day had turned from the true and living God to serve a figment of their imagination. There was no queen of heaven. (laughs) It was a figment of somebody's imagination. There is no queen of heaven. They made him up. They had turned from the true and living God to worship a God of their own making. You're saying, well, well, there's nothing like that going on today. Oh, really? We serve other gods. We serve the God of power, serve the God of money, God of um, sex, God of alcohol, drugs, power, wealth, whatever it is. Now, Jesus, when he was asked, how does one obtain eternal life? You know what he said? You remember? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. That's the package deal. You put them, make that preeminent in your life. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 3, unless you're born again, you shall enter and see the kingdom of God. He says um, in John chapter 8, 24, unless you know that I am he, you will die in your sins. Ooh. What does he say? When he says, what does he mean by unless you know that I am he? Unless you know that I am the Messiah. Unless you know that I am the Lamb of God who came to take away the world, the sin of the world, you will die in your sin. John 10, 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they might have life and life more abundantly. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, Anything or any religion that takes precedence over the God of the Bible as revealed through Jesus Christ, His Son, is an invalid one and it will put you on the road that's named the judgment of God. (laughs) Now, I'd like to believe, I'd like to believe that I can still stay in shape although I never exercise. I'd like to believe that. Wouldn't you like to believe that? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you, if you could say, I can eat whatever I want, all the desserts I want, all the double helpings, and I'll still never gain any weight, and my cholesterol level will always stay the same at nice level, low levels, and my high blood pressure won't go up. I can say that. I can say that. It's a figment of my imagination. I can say I'm not going to plant anything in my garden this spring and then by August we're going to have tomatoes and cucumbers. I can say that, 
but I'm deluding myself. Avoid serving a God of your own making. You must. Now, here's the... If Christians can offend people really easily, you know that. But the big kahuna of offense is what? You will die if you don't have Christ. You're under the judgment of God. That is the big kahuna of stumbling. When you say that, you, you, man, people get really... They either respond in a positive way, like, what should we do? Or you've really offended them. Now, we all know there's some kind of accounting, don't we? Don't we know that? Even if we're not believers, we kind of know you have what they call karma, you know, or what goes around, comes around. So there's a concept that somehow when everything is all put together, there's going to be an accounting. The Bible calls it the judgment of God. And if you don't have Christ, and if you're worshiping some idea other than that which is presented in the Bible, the Bible says... You're on the road to the judgment of God. Okay, let's try and wrap it up in just the few minutes I have. The balance of the book, chapters 46 through 52, really deal with the judgment of God on Judah, and then Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Damascus, Kedar, Hatzor, Elam, and Babylon. The theme is essentially the judgment of God on all those pagan nations, and you can read that yourself. Um, I've learned to read you well enough. You've had enough of the judgment of God. We're moving on to some other subject. But they're good books. They're good chapters. Just we're not going to talk about the judgment of God on pagan nations, most of which don't even exist today. Chapter 52, however, is almost a word-for-word translation of uh, 2 Kings chapter 25, which is the destruction of Jerusalem, which we looked at chapter 39. Okay. Now, wrapping it up. 1 Peter 4.17 says, The judgment of God must begin at the house of God. Why is that? You know why that is? Because we know better. (laughs) We know better. We should know better. Now, I believe the judgment of God is an expression of his love. And I say, I don't know about that. It is an expression of his love. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 says, isn't that? When, if, if he doesn't discipline us, if he doesn't judge us, what? We are what? Illegitimate children. That means we're not loved. We're not cared. We're not wanted. Now just think about this. Think about this. If you get to heaven and everybody gets in, everybody gets in, you think, you see your neighbor. What's he doing here? He never went to church. He's drunk almost every weekend beat his wife, was a horrible dad, and yet he's in? What would you think? Wouldn't that say to you, you have served him all your life, wouldn't that say to you, you know, I, I don't think very much of his love. If his love is that kind of nature, uh, that character and nature, wouldn't it call into que- question in your own mind the shallowness and the depth of the love of God? But rather, the judgment of God is his call because he's not willing that any should perish. And the call of the judgment of God and the discipline of God is to bring us back to our, even as it says in the prodigal son, that we might come to our senses. Okay. Have you ever been judged? Have you ever gone to court? 
I don't know about you. I, I've gone to court. When I was in fourth grade, I was riding on the, the um, top of the bicycle uh, on, my, on the front of the bicycle of, of my friend. And the cop gave me a ticket. The policeman gave me a ticket, both of us. We had to go to court, believe it or not. And it was a court. It was really funny. This is back in Kearney, New Jersey. The court was made up of high school students. And they were our judges. So it was kind of neat. And uh, the penalties were like write an essay on why you shouldn't be riding on the handlebars of your friend's bike. You know, that was the penalty. But you know what I did? I lied. I lied. I said, he made me do it. (laughs) And he never spoke to me again because he got convicted. They let me out. And I remember that day, how many years later? 60 plus years later. I'm ashamed of that. Now, here's the thing. If you come before God for judgment, say, because believers go through the beam of seat of judgment for our rewards or for eternal life, you're not going to be your, your way out of it. You're not going to be your way out of it. You're not. Because God is the God of all truth. And in Jeremiah 44, he tells us we don't have to come under the judgment of God. We don't have to come under the judgment of God. If we remember the past and let the past speak to us. Remember not to excuse our sins. If we, if we obey God's word and we worship the true and living God, not some God of our own imagination. That's the word of the Lord to each one of us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, our brother Jeremiah, this wonderful journey. It's taken us three series to get through this book. Well, we bless and thank you for he's a dear friend. He's become a dear friend to us. May we listen carefully to the words that you spoke through him that we might find your love and avoid the judgment of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.